All right, so we're in First Peter chapter 1 and continuing a series that started last week on being balanced and kind of balancing out uh, how we operate under two doctrines that we'll see in the Bible that sometimes people pit against each other or they seem to conflict. And I want to look at a couple different things here and uh, show you something that people often make work against each other and these things don't. But it says in First Peter chapter 1 verse 14, as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So this is a pretty clear command here. He's even, he even quotes Old Testament where we are told to be holy. He says be holy in all manner of conversation. And so uh, there's a lot of scripture on the subject of being holy, but... Doesn't the Bible also teach that none of us are holy? I mean, don't we sing a song, Holy, 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 where one of the lines is, Only thou art holy? So aren't we kind of, you know, contradicting the Bible if we get up and we're saying, and that comes from the Bible too, we'll look at that in a little bit, if we're saying, well, only Jesus Christ is holy, but then I'm telling you, you all be holy. I mean, don't, do we have a conflict here? I mean, it looks like something's wrong. It says in Revelation 15, 4, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. You know these preachers that go preaching holiness? My Bible says that only Jesus is holy. And what you, you people out there, you think you're holy? My Bible says only Jesus is holy. What's wrong with you? And let me tell you something, folks. There's a lot of preachers out there, I just hate to, I hate to reveal this, that are trying to manipulate you and they're just trying to control you with Scripture and the way they, people twist things, it'll blow your mind. I mean, my mind's been blown just recently in conversations I've had that kind of inspired this sermon. It's like, there's some bad people out there leading churches and trying to lead people astray. And so it seems very clear that only Jesus Christ is holy. But what about these passages here? I'm just going to go to a bunch of passages. In 1 Thessalonians 5.27, it says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Well, so much for only Jesus being holy. He's referring to all the holy brethren here. He says in 2 Peter 3, 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us apostles of the Lord and Savior. Who were those holy prophets? Because all the prophets I see in the Old Testament, they all had sin. Who were those holy prophets? Ephesians 1, 4 says, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. How, how can we do that? I mean, I got saved a long time ago, but I'm still a sinner. So how can I really be without blame? Ephesians 5.27, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How is this church going to be presented to God holy and without blemish? I mean, look at you all. I mean, you know, look at the pastor. I mean, how, how is that going to happen? It says in 1 Corinthians 7.34, There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy, be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, that she may please her husband. Uh, 2 Peter 1.21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men. You mean like David who committed adultery with Bathsheba? How was he holy? 
You know, well, I mean, look at just some of the people who wrote the Bible. Moses killed a man, lost his temper, wasn't even able to go into the promised land, yet he's holy. How, so how does this work? Well, it's just not being saved, right? But then why are we preaching to save people? Be holy. So what's going on here? How do we balance this out? How do we figure it out? Because let me tell you what people do. They take these things out of context. And whenever you start to call out someone on their lack of holiness in an area, what they end up doing, they end up running to these passages. You know, they can run to the ones where, well, only Jesus is holy. But then, if I'm the guy that wants to nail your hide to the wall for a sin in your life, I can go to these passages and then I can condemn you with it. So, what are you supposed to do as a congregation, as people, who people are out there trying to influence you, trying to manipulate you, trying to get you to do their bidding, instead of just teaching you the Bible? How are you supposed to know what to do? Because, um, you know, here's the question too, you know, if Paul wasn't holy... How can any of us be holy? I mean, what did Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Doesn't sound like Paul thought he was holy. You know, but yet Paul's writing to the holy brethren. So, uh, Romans 3, 9. Because this is what people do too. You know, after you challenge somebody on being holy, they run to different passages showing how it's impossible. So, uh, and, you know, or when you call somebody out sins, out someone sins, they say, well, nobody's perfect. And it does say in Romans 3, 9, What then are we better than they? No and no eyes, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that all are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then we get down to verse 23. That's where it says, For all have sinned and come short, of the glory of God. So, you know, some of you out there, you'll talk about somebody else. Oh, he's a good man. My Bible says there is none that doeth good. No, not one. So, uh, you know, you're, you're wrong. You're, you're unbiblical. You know, you think that you think you have a good pastor. My Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. I'm not looking for a good pastor. I'm looking for a sinner. I can use that to make excuse for all my sin, right? Uh, we, you know, we can do that kind of thing. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point... He is guilty of all. Okay, so that guy got busted for something that's mentioned in 1 Timothy about the qualification of a bishop. But you know what? My Bible says if you commit one sin, you're guilty of all of it. So you're guilty of murder. You're guilty of divorce and whatever there is out there. You're guilty of all of it according to the Bible. So how dare you with your beam in your eye? You know, you've had pride before. You've told lies before. And you're going to talk to me about immorality or something like that. And, and, and folks, do people not do this type of thing? Whenever you try to call out something, that's what they, that's what they do. And so, you know, I would say probably 90% of the time you get in this type of argument where people pit these two doctrines against each other. You know, you have someone who is just trying to avoid accountability for their sin. And so, uh, but often when you accuse somebody of doing something that's wicked or being wicked, they'll often start quoting verses about how, you know, our righteousness is in Christ and God can only see Christ. Uh, you know, you see that with, you know, these more modern liberal churches, you know, they're always just, hey, we're all about grace. We're a gospel-centered church. And those of you who are preaching about sin, you're not gospel-centered, is what they try to tell us. It's all about the gospel, is what, the, is what they try to say. And, you know, and that's, not right. You know, they'll, they'll accuse churches like ours of being holier than thou or something like that or whatever. Or they'll, you know, we're not gospel centered because we yell about sin. 
And so, you know, even people who believe like us will often bring up how we're all sinners when they're called out for sin. But when they're mad at someone else, you know, they'll teach how even a saved person can be wicked. So isn't it interesting how we kind of all use Bible to our advantage? You know, we've got something to cover us when we're bad because we've got all these verses about forgiveness of sins. You know, if we need somebody to be bad, we've got plenty of verses to condemn everybody that we want. You know, we can find an excuse to get all of us in hell. All right. Because we're all sinners. We all come short of the glory of God. So, again, these are these two doctrines. They're not in conflict. The problem is that when people, whenever they're on either side, they'll often quote verses and then misapply them to make them fit their situation. And so, great, you got up and you just quoted a verse, but it has nothing to do with the situation. Preachers do that all the time. They'll get up and they'll back up true doctrine with scriptures they shouldn't be using. That's bad. That's bad when we do that. Even if you're preaching once saved, always saved, you shouldn't use a verse that's not about once saved, always saved to prove it. That doesn't do anything. That's not how these things are supposed to work. So, how can you make sure you're balanced when it comes to judging situations as a Christian? You know, how can we continue to proclaim the truth about a salvation that's completely without works and yet promote holiness in the life of a believer at the same time? Because this can be done. So the first thing you need to do is you need to understand the meaning of the word holy. All right? And you need to understand the meaning of the word holy. Now, I'll look at a few different definitions here. This is the Strong's definition. And I like this one. It means sacred, uh, blameless, or uh, ceremonially consecrated. You know, most holy thing or a saint. Okay, that's one definition of it. In the Webster's 1828, it means properly whole, entire or perfect in a moral sense. Hence, pure in heart, temper or disposition, free from sin, sinful affections, applied to the supreme being. Holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate and complete in moral character. And so, and there's many others. I'm not even going to go into all of them, but it even has First uh, Peter 1.16 that we read, be holy for I am holy in there. It could also mean hallowed, consecrated, or set apart for sacred use, or to the service or worship is God. Um, and so, without even going into all these things, because whenever you actually stop and just listen for a minute to the verse and pay attention to the context, we can all figure out what these things are talking about pretty easy and how to apply them. Now, where we get manipulated is when we allow a preacher to just get up and start yelling off these verses without looking into context and applying them to a situation that doesn't fit. That's, and that's what you've got to watch out for, and that's what you're in danger of letting happen. So, the word holy, here's what you need to understand. It's not always referring to somebody being sinlessly perfect in every way. Okay? The word holy is not only used in the Bible is meaning completely free from any guilt of God's law. That's what you need to understand about that word holy. It doesn't always have to mean that. Sometimes it means other things. So, for, uh, so we need to look at how the word is being used in a passage and in what context is being used to understand why somebody is holy and in what way they are holy. This is important, okay? Because this word does not only have to be used in reference to sinless perfection in the eyes of a holy God. That's not, that's not it. It's not always referring to someone's performance in keeping the law and being worthy of heaven. So if, I, if, we are, if we're going to judge somebody in this church according to the law of God to see 
If they are worthy of heaven, then guess what? None are holy. Nobody in here is holy if we are judging you according to your works compared to the law of God. None is holy except for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one that is holy in that sense. But that's not the only way we use. Okay. So sometimes when we see the word holy, you should see it as a word being used to declare innocence or guilt of a specific charge. Okay? If you wanted to convince me, or if you wanted to uh, declare me a murderer of some, you know, physically killing somebody, you know what? I'm holy when it comes to that. I've never killed anybody unless I did through COVID, uh, like I've been being told I have. But you know, I, I've not done that. There are some things that I've never done. Okay, there's some things that I am that I am completely not guilty of. Now, I don't boast of those things, and it would be foolish for us to boast of the things that we haven't done because there's other things that we have done. Okay? But there's some rules and things I've never violated. Okay, When it comes to being held in contempt of court, I've never done that before. Holy, without blemish. Okay? Now, if we want to talk about driving records or things like that, you know, it's pretty clean right now. That's because stuff goes away <laughs> you know, after a certain amount of time. Uh, I think I do have a, a warning currently uh, on there, so I'm not without spot there. But, you know, I've got areas that without, I'm without spot where I'm holy. And so uh, there, there's a lot of different ways we can use, uh, you know, that we would use that. So when we see, uh, so for example, if it comes to, sal- when it comes to salvation, what is it that gets it saved? Is it our performance of the law or of our faith in Christ? And if we have faith in Christ, doesn't he cleanse us from all sin? Meaning he makes us free from that guilt of that sin. So one of these days we are going to stand before God holy. Even right now, we have a holy standing with God because of the fact that we've been cleansed of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it is, a, it is appropriate to refer to saved people as the holy brethren because of the fact that I'm saying you are holy in the sense that right now you're free from the guilt of your sin. You have been spared and saved the punishment of that sin. You will never go to hell. And so anybody that's saved in here, I can refer to you as holy in that area if you've believed on Christ. That's, it's appropriate to do that. But if I'm talking about holy in the sense of keeping the law, if I'm talking about holy as in, in the sense of obeying everything that we as Christians should be doing then, you know, we probably wouldn't use that word. So it's all about how we're using that. It's about what we are, you know, it's what we're referring to. Uh, So sometimes, you know, it is, it's a reference to, or in the Bible, it's a reference to our keeping of the law to obtain salvation. That's what we're seeing in James chapter 2. It says in James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So when James said that, this passage right here, when he wrote this down, he is saying this in the context of those who might feel that they have no punishment coming for their sins because they haven't violated a specific law. And he's saying, hey, when it comes to being worthy of hell and in need of a savior, any sin counts, folks. Whatever sin you've done, it counts. You deserve to go to hell. 
Jesus had to pay for that sin and only his blood will cleanse you from that sin. And so it doesn't matter what you haven't done. And don't we hear that often when we knock on people's doors? How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, you know, I've never killed anybody. You know, I, I've never, you know, they'll talk about the things they've never done. And then they might bring up a few things that they have done. Well, I go to church. I got baptized. I did this. I did that. You don't get declared holy by those things. Hey, you are a lawbreaker. And that's what... So, uh, when it comes to that, if any of us in here, if I say, is there any in here who's holy? In the sense of, free from any guilt of the law by your works. Nobody should raise their hand. Nobody should raise their hand at all. But in the, so in the context of Romans 3 that we looked at earlier, it was when it's saying there is none that doeth good, that is in the context of showing how no one is without sin. That doesn't mean there aren't good people on this earth. It doesn't mean if you don't do some nice thing, if you, don't, if you help an old lady across the street, that you didn't do a good thing. Did you know that you can be lost and you could be good in the sense of you can be a good neighbor you know you're not killing you're not stealing you know you you know you, you, there's a there, there's a lot of lost people i know that i would consider good people in the sense of they obey the laws you know they're they're nice to people and and i'm not unbiblical if i call if i say they're a good man and I've, and I've known people like that, that I did. I thought, man, these are, these are good people. I sure wish they'd get saved. Because in the eyes of God, they're not good. So you've got to look at what we're referring to. You've got to look at the context of why somebody is saying that when you, when you bring that up. Sometimes the word holy, it's used in reference to our accepting or rejecting of the free gift by faith. And so again, if I say, are you holy in the sense of free from guilt of the law based on my works, nobody should raise their hand, but if I just said, if you're free from the guilt of the law, you know what? If you've believed on Christ, you can raise your hand. I am holy there. And so I am the holy brethren. And I, I believe that's what he's referring to in 1 Thessalonians 5.27 when he talked about the epistle being read among all the holy brethren. He doesn't explain why he called them that in that context, but it's safe to say that he was using that because he was talking about saved people. And so he referred to them as holy brethren. When we talk in 2 Peter 3, 2, when it referenced the holy prophets, there is no doubt these guys were not holy in the sense of they never committed any sins, but it's very clear that they were holy because of the fact that their faith is highlighted in the Bible. The book of Hebrews talks about their faith. And because they had faith, they were able to obtain righteousness by that faith. And so it is okay to refer to these people as holy. When the Bible talks about holy men of God, speaking as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's okay to call them holy. You know why? Because they were people of faith. And so they had, they were free from guilt, but it wasn't based on their performance of the law. They were free from guilt because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in Romans 4.3. We all know this passage because this is referring to Abraham. It's talking about David, people in the Old Testament. And it says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is reward not reckoned, uh, but of reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So, folks, 
I mean, think about this. So we do have in the Bible passages where the writer is specifically dealing with people who think that they can get to heaven by their works. So if you have a group of people who think they're going to get to heaven by their works, and the only way to heaven is through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, then wouldn't it make sense that you would write a bunch of scripture telling people just how bad they truly are in the eyes of a holy God? I mean, that's why we have the law, so we'll know that we're, know that we're sinful. But if you also have a people, too, who you're trying to tell them they're going to go to heaven, you're talking about a holy God, you're trying to explain what Jesus Christ has done in cleansing us, you know what you're also going to do? You're also going to explain how he has cleansed us, how he has made us holy, how he's made us kings and priests. You're going to talk about both of those things. And so when you're talking about, when you're talking to people who have faith, you're going to talk about that stuff. Hey, we've been made holy by God. Hey, we are innocent. We could stand before God today and be guaranteed, and we're guaranteed to go into heaven right now. Why wouldn't we talk about that thing amongst God's people? We're going to do it because we're rejoicing in the fact that we've been redeemed, that we've been cleansed. But imagine... Imagine though, you know, those two true doctrines taking them and pitting them against each other, you know, just to win an argument. And just because all you're going to do is confuse people, aren't you? Both things are true, but you so to take a, a passage about holiness, uh, where it's referring to our standing in Christ, and then use it to uh, boast about yourself, wouldn't that be a horrible thing to do? And isn't it a terrible thing to do to take a saved person and then go to passages about holiness that are written to people who need to understand that they are not blameless when it comes to the law and then to use that against saved people? Wouldn't it be, it, it, that's terrible to do that kind of thing, but people will often do that. And, and I might, if I have time, I might get into some more examples of ways I've seen this type of thing done because I think it's really wicked. Colossians 1.21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind... By wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So even though it refers to our wicked works, we see that we are going to be presented to God holy, which is very comforting, which is, is a miracle. So when it comes to my performance of the law, I am not holy but when it comes to my position in Christ, I am holy. Why? Because I've received imputed righteousness by my faith. And that's what the Bible clearly teaches. So it would be totally appropriate for me to get up here, refer to all of you in here today as my holy brethren and my holy sisters if I'm referring to your position in Christ through faith. But if I'm saying that according to your keeping of the law, if I'm up here, and let me tell you folks, I've seen what these other churches preach around here. I've seen the members, these other churches. They think they follow the Bible. They're not like us, folks. When it comes to following the Bible, when it comes to keeping the commands of God, we're definitely the holy church in town. That would be very inappropriate to say, wouldn't it? If I'm using that word holy in the context of our performance of keeping the laws of God, that would, that would be very wrong for me to do that. But it would be appropriate if, if we're referring to our faith, if we're referring to what we're trusting and if we're talking about Jesus Christ. And so sometimes, too, the word holy is used in reference to a sacred position or purpose that we've been chosen for. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood, 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by Jesus Christ. So notice that we're a holy priesthood. Unlike, and, and understand too, did you know the Levitical priesthood was a holy priesthood too? They were a holy priesthood too because those Levites were chosen and they were set apart specifically for the work of God. So the Levites, they were holy as priests, meaning set apart. You could say this pulpit is holy in the sense that it is used only for sacred purposes. I'm not going to get up and I'm not going to use this, you know, uh, as a, like a stand, you know, when I'm doing my stand-up comedy performance or something like that. You know, it's just, you know, we, we don't, we try to use these things and, and obviously, you know, we're not under the law. We don't have to go crazy with this stuff. But we often refer to things still as holy or sacred because we use them exclusively for religious purposes. You know, I don't think we ought to be playing, you know, honky-tonk and jazz on that piano right there. Okay? So, well, I like jazz. Well, okay. But, you know, don't use that piano to practice your jazz. This is our church piano. And, and we want to we respect the house of God. And we want this to be a holy place in the sense of it's been set apart for religious use. We don't, we don't rent this out. You know, we don't rent this out. We've had people call, ask if they could rent out our church for weddings and stuff. And, and we don't do that because I don't trust what most people are going to do in their weddings. And, you know, and then we start doing that kind of thing. We've got to let everybody do it. Otherwise, we're going to get sued. And we're not looking for that. So, you know, we only, we only let members do it. And so, uh, because this is, this is something that's been set apart. It's sacred. And so let's keep reading in First Peter 2, 6. It says, Wherefore also is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him should not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that he would show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are they a holy nation? Because we have been chosen and set apart for a specific purpose. We are God's people, folks. And God, you know, and there are things that God has for us. Did you know God commissioned the church to fulfill the Great Commission and not the government? Okay, we've been chosen for that. We've been chosen to be holy. Though, you know, we're, not, we're not supposed to be the ones doing the executions and stuff like that as a church. God's chosen us for something else. And God has set us apart and therefore we're holy in the sense that we have a specific purpose. And that's why I get you know, weirded out too. And I, I, I get a little worried when people and churches get a little too involved in the political world and they're bringing in the politicians and stuff to do their things. And they just, they get a little too wrapped up in it. And it's like, no, we're, we're a holy nation here. And so I don't want to be seen. And, and, and let me tell you, I'm, I love the fact that I'm an American. Uh, I, I, thank God I was born in this country. I'm very thankful, not necessarily proud, but very thankful to be an American. I, I, I will say that. But this church and how we operate should have nothing to do. That, you know, Americans should have nothing to do with that. And that's why I think you know, what we are goes beyond America, folks. You know, we've, we're, we're a church. We're going to go into all the world. Uh, our, our headquarters is in heaven. 
Our capital is in heaven. It's that new Jerusalem. And so we, I think, I think we got to be careful getting too caught up in that stuff. And, um, you know, I, and that's another subject for another day that I'm probably actually going to deal with in this series. But 1 Corinthians 9.13 says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partaker with the altar. Those holy things, it's referring to all those vessels and things that they used in the temple that were exclusively to be used for religious purposes. And so we've got to understand that God has chosen us as believers not to be saved like the Calvinists teach, but He has chosen us as believers to one day be glorified and to be just like Him. He's chosen us to be the ministers of the gospel, to fulfill the Great Commission. He's chosen us to be that holy nation, the peculiar people. All those things that God wants to accomplish in the world, He has chosen us for it. He has sanctified us. He has set us apart. He has made us different from the world to the point that one of these days when He comes to pour His wrath out on this world, He's going to take us out before He even does that. You know why? Because we're holy. We're, we're separated. We've been set aside for a specific purpose and so God is not going to use us for that. For that, God is not going to show His wrath on us. And God's going to understand. God's going to be glorified when He shows His wrath on the world for sin. And we've all contributed in that sin. But you know what? God hasn't chosen us to be those ones. God's chosen us. He's to be delivered from the wrath to come because God also wants to show His mercy. And so God's going to show His mercy on us, but He's going to show His justice. On the world, that's what they've been chosen for. So, can you see how, again, that being holy, it's it can be referred to just our position, how we're being used, uh, and just our our standing in Christ. It's not just about our performance of the law. Also, as Christians, we need to make a choice to set ourselves apart and to dedicate ourselves to God's purpose. Romans twelve one says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God." which is your reasonable service. So we should say, you know what? I've been set apart by God for service to Him. I should set myself apart for that. And you know what? I'm not going to give myself over to the things of the flesh. I'm not going to give myself to the things of the world like everybody else does. I'm going to give my life to serve the Lord. I'm going to make myself holy. Not meaning I'm going to cleanse myself of all sin, but meaning I'm going to set myself apart and I'm going to say, you know what? I don't do that. I belong to God. And yet, he, I'm saved. I've got eternal security. I can never lose my salvation. He's not going to take it away. But you know what? I'm still not going to give myself to those sins. I'm separating myself from that. You know what? That's called, that's called being holy. You're setting yourselves apart. And that's often what the Bible is referring to. So, uh, and, uh, so again, there's many different ways. Sometimes it's only in reference to our guilt or innocence in a particular area. We, uh, we look briefly at 1 Corinthians 7.34, where it says there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. And, but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, how, how can a woman you know, be holy in body and spirit? You know why? Because it's referring to her, her, her chastity. It's referring to her purity physically speaking. And, and if a woman, if she keeps herself pure and keeps herself from men before marriage, you know what? She's holy in that sense. And, and that's a good thing. You should, should strive for that. And, and a woman who is married, she can remain holy as long as she remains faithful to her husband. 
And so it's, it's referring to just guilt or innocence in a specific area is what it's referring to. And you say, and you know, and as men, we can be holy in that area. But then he's like, all the way, there's that verse in the Bible that says, if you look at a woman to lust after you commit adultery in her heart. Again, when it comes to, you know, being without sin to be worthy of heaven, yes, even looking and lusting will get you in trouble with the holy God. But that, uh, you know, the thing is, we can still be physically pure and keep ourselves from those things. That, that's still a possibility. We've got to make sure we understand what context we're looking at this in. It says in 1 Timothy 2.8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So what does that mean? How, how do you lift up holy hands? We've all sinned with these hands before. How can we lift up holy hands? You know what it's saying? It's doing without wrath and doubting. Meaning, when I pray, okay, and you know, I don't believe in putting on a show in our prayer, but there's nothing wrong with if, when somebody prays, you know, apparently that's not, we see that in the Bible, where often when they would pray, they'd lift their hands. And so when he's talking about lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, meaning when I'm praying before God, I should have no doubt in my mind that God hears my prayer, that God's going to answer my prayer. As I'm lifting up my hands in prayer to God, I'm not just putting on an act. I'm not just doing it to do it. The Bible also says, greet the brethren, all the brethren with a holy kiss. Okay, Now, we don't have that custom of kissing each other, you know, thankfully, in our, in our culture today. But what does it mean? How, how do you do a holy kiss? Meaning, what I believe that's referring to is, it, you know, I've compared it to a handshake. If I go up and I greet you as you come into this church, it ought to be holy. Meaning, and if I say, hey, I'm glad to see you, I should mean I'm glad to see you. I shouldn't be going up to you, greeting you, and in my heart thinking, man, I was hoping he wasn't going to show up today. That, that's not good. My, I ought, I, it ought to be holy. And hopefully, as everybody was greeting each other today, you were greeting each other with holy greetings and holy handshakes. That You were doing it with true love in your heart, with whatever you were saying. You said it and you meant it. That's what, that, that's, what that's referring to. So... You know, it is appropriate to, you know, refer to some things as good and holy. It's, it's, it's appropriate to refer to someone as a good man, you know, if you're meaning they would be a good neighbor. Or he's a good man if you're, if you're looking to hire somebody. He would be a good worker. You know, he's somebody who's not likely to steal from the company. He's not somebody who's likely to cheat. He's not somebody who's going to murder anybody. You know, you're not contradicting Romans 3.10 when you say that. Now, if you're saying, I'm good, meaning I'm good enough to go to heaven, you're contradicting Romans chapter 3. And so, don't let somebody, because you use the word good in reference to something completely different, go to Romans 3.10. That's out of line. That's inappropriate. I was talking to somebody one time about a situation where you know, a, a pastor's qualifications are greatly in question, and you know what they went to? Romans 3. It's like, wait, you know, we're, that's, that's the wrong place to go. He's like, aren't we all, aren't we all sinners? You know, have, don't we all have things that we've done? It's like, are you really going to that passage right now? And they gave me like all these, went through all these scriptures about how we're all sinners. And I'm thinking, and I said, I literally agree with everything that came out of your mouth, but this is a different situation because there is such a thing as qualifications for a bishop. And you've got to, you know, we're, we're not judging according to, you know, we're not, we're not looking at Romans 3 right now. That's not what this is about. This is about a very specific situation. That kind of thing is wrong, folks. We shouldn't do that. You can't do that when you're wanting to defend somebody. You go to Romans 3 and you just condemn everybody. And people, I've heard people do that with the qualifications of a bishop. Where it says blameless, 
they'll go to verses about how none of us are without sin. But the thing is, that's not how the word blameless is being used there. Blameless is in context of any of these things that would disqualify someone from being a pastor. That's what blameless means. Blameless doesn't mean we've never sinned, folks. Now, now, again, if we're judging, if I'm judging Austin's ability to get into heaven without the blood of Christ, then yes, he's not blameless, is he? I'm, I'm not blameless. But if we're talking about his ability to maybe hold a position somewhere or to have a, have a job or to, you know, obtain a, you know, purchase a firearm or something like that, you know, that's, those are, you know, there's different things that we're looking at. And it's the same thing in the Bible. And when people take scriptures and they use them in these different places like that, mark it down, you're being manipulated. And that's wrong. We need to stay away, we need to stay away from people like that. It's not good. And so uh, sometimes too, and I'll quickly close with this, holy, it's referring to a goal that we have when it comes to something that we do for God. It says in 1 Peter 1.14, which is where we started, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. When you were lost in your ignorance, you just did what you wanted to do, but now you need to be obedient. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy as I am holy. What is he talking about right there? You know what that tells me? We have no right as God's people to consciously choose to keep certain sins in our life. For us to just say, all right, you know what? I know this is a sin, but I'm, I'm holy in Christ, so who cares? No, listen, if you know some, you shouldn't be doing something, you shouldn't be doing it. And you're accountable for it. And you ought, you ought to fix that. That should be your goal. Be holy. Doesn't, it's not saying be holy mean see if you can make it the rest of your life without ever sinning. No, this is how we live our life every day. We shouldn't ever just go and just say, I'm, I know this is a sin, but I'm just going to do it anyway because I can. That's, that's not a good goal. I'm going to go, I'm going to keep on doing this sin because you know what? Everybody's doing it. That's not how we should be. That's not right. You know, as a church, we shouldn't be okay with being wrong on any doctrine. You know, we should, well, we're right on salvation, so who cares if we're wrong in these other areas? Okay, now listen, I'm sure we're wrong in some areas, but we should have the attitude, as soon as we find out what it is, we fix it. We should never just say, you know what, we're going to keep this in our church because we can. I mean, because as long as we've got salvation right, and as long as we're soul winning, you know, who cares if we're a little mixed up on some of these other things? Folks, that's a terrible attitude to have. We should want to be holy. That should be our goal. And so anytime we see something that we had wrong, you know what we should do? We should fix it. Why? Because we're not, we're not okay with anything, with anything less. So we ought to want to preach the Word in its purest form. And so this teaching that we're all sinners and the call to holiness, it's not a conflict. And when it appears to be a conflict, mark it down. People are manipulating with you with the Scripture because they want to justify sin. They want to justify their sin that's in their life. They want to justify the fact that maybe they're not qualified for something or they've messed up, they're wrong. They are distracting from their sin in their life. And that's not, that's not acceptable. Both of these truths need to be taught. We're going to keep teaching the truth, showing that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and there's nothing to do with good, no, not one. But we're also going to preach, be holy, for I am holy. These things are not a conflict. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord.
I pray this message was helped everybody. I pray it was clear and everybody understands it. And Lord, I pray that when we think about that word holy, we'll learn to look at the context of it and use it the way you did in the scriptures, Lord. I, I, we all know we will never be holy, meaning um, n- having never sinned in our life. But Lord, we thank you that you've made us holy through Jesus Christ. And I pray you'll help us to try to reflect that in our life. Just as you've set us apart uh, for service, I pray to your God that we will set ourselves apart. And I pray that we will... Uh, have a desire like the Apostle Paul to be holy. In your name we pray. Amen.